0: As we look at Advent season, we're going to be going through each one of those themes, hope, love, joy, and peace, as we go through and, and, uh, and preach through this. So we're looking at hope today, and as many of you guys know, during this time of year, we love Christmas, and we also, what comes with that is colds and sinuses, and I have an occupational hazard as a preacher that whenever I get sick, my voice tends to go. So I've been not talking all week, and uh, in preparation for today, so y'all pray For me, that my voice holds out throughout the sermon, I think I'm gonna be good. But if at any point in time it sounds like I'm going through the change, no, we're done with that. But just making it, trying to make it through this cold. And if you've been at King's Church for any amount of time, you also know that I like very unconventional uh, Christmas passages to preach through. I love to show how the whole Bible is the story of how God came to redeem us from our greatest problem which is our sin, and what he tried to do that. I remember I was preaching at at, at Crossroads Church, which is actually right down the road, and they were instrumental in helping us start King's Church. And uh, I remember preaching on Zechariah chapter 10, uh, whenever I was there, excuse me, Zechariah chapter 4, when I was there, and I remember all of the folks like, "What is? how in the world is he talking about Christmas from Zechariah chapter chapter 4? But as we look at this theme of hope today, I can't think of a better place, as I was meditating on it and preparing this week, to think about hope than in, the, than in this passage, a very famous passage, if not top five most famous passages, in all of Scripture in Exodus chapter 14, when God miraculously delivers His people from the greatest army that the world has ever known up to this point as they walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. This is a great message of hope. Jesus' birth is a message of hope. The promises of God are being fulfilled as the Messiah is here. There is a lot of uncertainty in our world right now. There's a lot of uncertainty in your world right now. And we could talk about that. But here's what I want you to know, that there is hope and it is a he, and this is the time. Christmas is a time where hope can put where hope put on flesh. Now they say I've never given, I've never tried, right? But they say that you can live weeks without food. They they say you can live about a week uh, without something to drink. They uh, they only use. Uh, they say that you can only live actually a few days, less than two. They said without sleep, or less than three, rather. And you can only live a few seconds without taking a breath. But how long can you live without hope? You ever thought about that? And the answer is not long. You know, one of the things that we've seen throughout the pandemic these past two years is a rise in suicide as people are isolated from each other. And suicide is a a horrible thing, and many people struggle with suicidal thoughts. And if you do, just let me say to you, please talk to someone. I'd be happy to talk to you about it. Don't suffer alone. God never wanted you to do that. But we've seen a spike in suicides. And if you think about suicides, suicides really are someone who's come to a point where they cannot hope in anything anymore. They've lost all element of hope in their life. They can't foresee a future that can possibly be better than their present. They can't visualize or experience or imagine a day that could be better. They only see clouds. They only see storms. They only see the worst possibilities that are in the future. It's pretty serious this year, 2021. The tenth leading cause of death for everybody in the country, was, or those who died, rather, was suicide. It was the second leading cause of death For youth and young adults, ages 10 to 34, and they say, the statistics that I read, that a person commits suicide every 11 minutes. It's real. Maybe you're suffering without hope, but if these statistics are true, then certainly everyone around us, or at least many people around us, are suffering from a lack of hope. And one of the things that, if you're suffering from a lack of hope, if you just can't see a possibility of a better future, then you've either forgotten or never heard about three things. Number one, God is sovereign and rules over the earth. Number two, God is gracious and He loves you and He's forgiven your sin. And he's made a way through it. And number three, and this is one that we'll actually see in this passage, that very oftentimes God brings trials into your life For his glory and your good. And in the time when we can't see hope, that's what happens. In fact, many of us, if we were to share our stories today, probably came to Christ, if you're a Christian, this morning during times when things were tough. When you were going through the midst of a trial. And in this passage, Exodus chapter 14, this is the main passage where the Israelites could look back and say, I can believe in God for my future. And that's the title of the sermon this morning. Hope, looking back to look forward. For them, they would have been looking back to this text, and so can we. And for us during Christmas time, we can look back to the birth of our Savior and find hope. So turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, to Exodus chapter 14. There's a portion of it uh, printed in your order of worship this morning. But please give your attention to God's word. Then the Lord said to Moses Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pir Ha'ioth between Migdal and the sea, and there they are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal Zephon. And Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue me, and I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. And when the king of Egypt was told that the people have fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their mind about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of his best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptian, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen and troops, pursued Israelite and overtook them as they encamped by the sea near Pir-Harioth, opposite baal zephon As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them, and they were terrified and cried out to the Lord. And they said to Moses, "'Was it because there are no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die?' What have you done bringing us up out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone and let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today will never you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff. Stretch it over the sea to divide the water so the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the heart of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. And throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and lighted the other side, so that neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind, and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, and a wall of water was on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and of cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He made the wheels of the chariots come off. So that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, Let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing towards it and the Lord swept them away into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and the horsemen and the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their left, on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw The great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we consider this passage, we have a simple but profound prayer. We pray, God, that you would help us to honor and worship you as we consider and meditate on your word. And Lord, would you take the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together and make them pleasing in your sight as we worship you over your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here's a big idea. God's past faithfulness motivates future hope. God's past faithfulness motivates future hope. In other words, you have to look backwards to look forwards. You have to look backwards to see what God has done in order to look past what's currently happening and have hope for the future. You need to look, sometimes in order to look forwards, you have to look backwards. And that's what God calls us to do in this passage. That's one of the reasons why the Word of God is written down for us. And many men and women have died so that we can have it written down for us. So that we can remember, so that we can look and find sources of hope. This morning in this passage, we'll see six quick truths about hope that we can use to take hope. Number one this morning, take hope God leads His people personally. Take hope God leads His people personally. Now, the passage we read was very long, and so I didn't read the, the introduction to the passage, which is at the end of chapter 13, but I'm going to summarize it for you in verses 17 through 22. What we have here is that God is leading His people as they go into the desert. And it says there in those first few verses that God led them into the desert intentionally. Now there was a road, and it was a better road. It was a safer road, but it led into the Philistine territory. And God knew that His people weren't ready yet for war. He knew their faith was way too fragile, so He didn't lead them down that road. In fact, we read in verse 13 of chapter 13 where God said, if they face war, they might change their mind and return to Egypt. This was constantly their temptation in the Old Testament. You'll see it all the time. Why don't we go back to Egypt? Well, why did you ever rescue us in the first place? You actually will see that in this passage. And in fact, in Numbers chapter 14, that's exactly what happens. They are finally confronted with war. And they do say, we don't want it. We want to go back to Egypt. Their faith was fragile but God knew how fragile his people's faith were, was, so he led them personally. And in chapter 13, verse 21, we read this. Listen to me. By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. The cloud and fire are frequent expressions throughout the Old Testament of the presence of God. The presence of God is, is sitting in front and it's visible for everyone to see. The Egyptians saw it. The Israelites saw it every single day. It's tough for us to imagine, but you can in your mind right now what it would be like to have in the front as you're marching forward to have this huge cloud during the day that's, that's moving in the direction that it wants you to go because it's the presence of God and then at night it lights up in glorious fire, okay? It is a constant reminder for his people at this time, and it's a reason that they could take hope. Here they are in the middle of the desert. I'm sure they brought some supplies, but they didn't have enough. God will provide that for them later. They don't know where they're going or how they're going to get there, but they're being personally led by a divine, miraculous God whose presence is out in front of them. And that really is the point of the whole passage. is that If you are in Christ, God's presence is with you and will never leave. And it was with the Israelites as well. We can take hope because God leads us personally. And this brings me to the reality that I learned as I study hope. And it says there's a big difference between our concept of hope and the Bible's concept of hope. When we think of hope, we think of positive thinking or wishful thinking. When we anticipate the future and when we use the word hope, when we think about hope, we think about a positive outlook on the future based on odds and circumstances. In other words, whenever you say, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow, what are you saying? I wish it doesn't. I, I, I wish. That's basically what you're saying. I hope this turns out well means I have, a, I have a wish that it works out. That is not the Bible's concept of hope at all. When the Bible uses hope, it, 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 does, it, it speaks completely. Right? When we think of hope, we just think of wishful thinking. But biblical hope is complete certainty that this is going to happen. Complete certainty that this is going to happen. When I was in Anderson as as an associate pastor there, we had a, a wonderful woman who taught Bible study, and she explained hope like this. She said, hope is you know that you know that you know. That's what biblical hope is. You know that you know that you know. There is a deep confidence that permeates every part of you, that it doesn't matter the circumstances, it doesn't matter the odds, that you are confident and sure that the outcome will be good. The question that probably you're asking, that I'm asking, is how can we have that kind of hope? You see, there's a difference between optimism and hope. Biblical hope. Optimism is psychological, hope is theological. Optimism is the power of positive thinking. Hope is the power of the almighty God who created heavens and the earth and sustains it. Hope is based on a good feeling. I mean, excuse me, optimism is based on good feelings. Hope is not based on feelings, but on a reality of who God is and what He's done. Optimism is based on favorable circumstances, but hope is based on a God who is above circumstance. And listen to this and sometimes even creates unfavorable circumstances so that he can show his power in the middle of it, which is what happened in this passage. There are two main words for hope in the Old Testament, yechal and kvah, and both of them mean to wait on a person. In the Old Testament, you won't see the word hope, but especially as you read through the Psalms, you'll see the word wait. Wait, be still, wait on God. Hope is a person. And that's clear in the Old Testament, Psalm 130. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in His word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman waits for the morning. This passage is about God leading His people. And it's something that we need to realize when life is tough and trials are in front of us and we are struggling, God is personally involved in that. And we can hope in that person as we think about Christmas. The biggest problem in our life was not whatever presents itself to you in terms of maybe job or relational struggle or whatever it is. The biggest problem in your life is that the wrath of God is coming down upon you and we're just dealing with a timing issue. But the hope of Christmas is that God personally came to solve that problem. Second truth. First truth. God leads his people personally. Second truth. Impossible circumstances are an occasion for God's glory. Take hope. Impossible circumstances are an occasion for God's glory. Verse 4 of chapter 14. God says, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. I hope you picked that up when I was reading through the passage, but this idea of God hardening Pharaoh's heart, leading him in a certain way, God says, like the heart of the king is like water in his hand, and he can direct it where he wants to go. The fact that he is going to shape Pharaoh's mind and heart in a way to influence him in a certain direction is throughout this passage several times. There's actually a play on words here in the Hebrew. The word for glory is the word kavod. It means heavy. And what God is saying here in verse 4 is I'm going to make Pharaoh's heart heavy so that I can show the world my heaviness. Y'all see that? It's a play on words here. And in the middle of this passage, you can see that the odds are stacked up against Israel. It's not like they have a shot. This is impossible. There's women and children. They're tired. They don't have food. They don't have supplies. They maybe had some weapons. But this is the army superpower of the world. I don't think a, a... the world had seen an army as strong as Pharaoh's army. 600 chariots, more chariots beyond those chariots, foot soldiers. They were known for their cavalry. They had horses and soldiers and weapons, and they were military, They were a military superpower. The odds are not against them. It's impossible. They're ridiculous. It's not even worth trying. That's, that's the odds that they're being faced here. But the reality is that the greater the trouble, the greater the opportunity for God to display His power and grace, which is exactly what happens. Isn't it interesting in this situation that God actually tells Moses, hey, just word of the wise, I'm setting this up to go bad so that I can show you how good I am. I'm I'm stacking all this against you so that I can show you my power. They were able for generations to look back on this event and say, my God is powerful and big and I can put my hope there. In fact, we're still doing it today. But if the odds would have been 50-50, we wouldn't be talking about it. Sometimes things happen in our lives And it's not our fault. And the odds seem to be stacked up against us. What if we approach those situations with hope that God orders things for His glory and our good? Or maybe things are stacked up in our lives against us and it is our fault. And God is still glorious and good. He takes a complaining people and he still saves them. There are countless illustrations of this in the Bible. James, in fact, writes, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. How can you write that? That just seems foolishness. How could you consider it joy when you encounter various trials? Only if you believe that God's going to show up in this kind of way could you do that. And he did, and he does. If you look at Christmas, circumstances were pretty bad. Romans were in charge. How was God going to take on human flesh and solve the sin problem without inheriting a sinful nature? That's a ridiculous problem to solve. And then in steps the miraculous virgin birth. The plan to give us a perfect human sacrifice without a corrupt sin nature. And then there's all kind of other circumstances, like there's no room in the end. Oftentimes, the the most ridiculous circumstances are occasions for God's glory. And what it means for us to have hope is to be in the middle of that, to rely on that person and that opportunity that God has in front of us. Point number three. Take hope, don't fear, stand firm, be still. Take hope, Don't fear. Stand firm. Be still. Now, the reason I chose this passage was because of verse 13. The Israelites are complaining and grumbling. There's no way. Why don't we go back to Egypt? They're all upset. They're scared. They're terrified. They're crying out to the Lord. And in the middle of that, before the Red Sea parts, Moses makes this statement in verse 13. Do not be afraid. Stand firm. And you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring today. That is biblical hope. There is no odds in their favor. And to be able to stand in that moment and say, God is coming, wait and see. That is biblical hope. Hope, listen to this, you might want to write this down. Hope is the ability to look at a situation where there is no way you can win and realize at the same time that there's no way you can lose. Did you hear that? Because of God's bigness and greatness, looking at a situation where naturally as you look at it, there's no way that you can win. And at the same time, because of the power and grace of God, realize there's no way that you can lose. In the middle of this situation, Moses had that hope. It's interesting as we look at these commands and try to apply them to our lives. You notice how they're not the commands aren't go do something. The commands are, hold on a minute, take a step back, calm down, don't be afraid, be still. Some of your translations will say, be silent, watch. Isn't that interesting? Watch what God's going to do. Be still, watch, trust the Lord. We look at Christmas and all the stuff that was going on. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, through all the turmoil, remained steadfast. How? Through all the drama, the scandal of it all. Because God told her what was going to happen, and she hoped in that. She knew that she knew that she knew. Point four Take hope, God has your back. Take hope, God has your back. It says here in verses 15 through 20 that the angel of the Lord and the pillar of fire, they go behind. So the situation is there, the Red Sea. There's no escape, can't go across it. Egyptian army's coming. And then what God does, he's normally been leading from the front. We just read that a little minute ago, right? And what he does is the angel of the Lord and the pillar of the fire now go to the rear and form a defense barrier. Okay? against the Egyptian army that's barreling down on front of them. Right? We saw the power of the angel of the Lord in the Passover event when he goes through and slaughters. The angel of the Lord is present um, throughout, many times throughout the Old Testament and, and displays himself especially in a military way as he defeats an enemy. So he goes into, that, into the back, and then the pillar of fire itself goes into the back. And then you also remember as I was reading that it gave light To the Israelites, but for the Egyptians, it was complete darkness. And if you know anything about the plagues that God put on the nation of Egypt, you'll know that one of them was darkness. And here it is again. Complete darkness for the Egyptians, complete light. Now, I don't have time to do this today, but if we were preaching through the book of Exodus, you would see that one of the things that God is doing is systematically destroying and dismantling every one of their gods. And Pharaoh was said, was thought to be the incarnate sun god Ra. Okay? They thought that he was the human form of this sun god named Ra. And here's Pharaoh at the front of the army in darkness. It's a statement that their god has no power. Okay? But the reality here in this passage is that there are very often times that we feel completely weak and vulnerable and helpless. You just got to live a little bit of life. You know, when you're in your 20s, you're invincible, right? There's nothing going to happen to you, all that kind of stuff. And then a life happens, and you realize that a lot of stuff's going to happen to you, right? And in those moments, what we need to do is to realize that we, we are our most vulnerable, God has our back. There was nothing the Egyptians, I mean excuse me, the Israelites would have been able to do against that army. But God steps in the rear. Take hope. Fifth truth, take hope. God will fight for you. This is the point. Verses twenty-one through twenty-eight. This is the point of the whole passage. Is that this is why you can have hope. This is why you can know that you know that you know. This is why you can move through life with certainty as a believer in Christ, if that's your story is because God will fight for you. God fought for the Israelites by hardening the heart of Pharaoh. Verse 17, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen. Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever thought who was in charge that day of the Egyptian army when you see a nation of people walking through walls of water on dry ground and then you say, let's go in after them? I mean, that's a ridiculous plan. If there's ever a time to say, hey, let's cut our losses and back off, that would be the time. But they charged right ahead. That's a stupid plan. Why would they do that? Well, the Bible says, verse 17 God heard in their hearts. In other words, they could, they, they, that, that was the plan. They were going to move forward with it. Removed that element of reasoning, so they charged in right after them. And then secondly, we see that God fought for the Israelites, not only by hardening Pharaoh's heart, but he fought for the Israelites through these miracles. You've all either thought about it in your mind or seen some artistic representation or a movie, whatever of what it means to walk through these towering walls of water and to walk through on dry ground. The Hebrew word there for dry means dusty. So dry it's dusty. How would you turn a seafloor into water and to ground that dry? Like that. God does this. Causes the seafloor to dry up, dry as a bone them walking in, and then God fights for them by causing the wheels to fall off of the chariots so that the chariots were stuck. You know, as I was studying this passage, it made me wonder if that's where we got the phrase, the wheels are falling off. Y'all ever use that? It's curious to me. God has all kind of weapons in his arsenal as he fights for his people. Confusion of minds, nature itself, malfunction of objects. And here's one thing that I want you to know. Here's one thing that I want to inform your hope this morning is that God is deeply involved in your world. If these words are true, you should be comfortable with the miraculous and anticipate it. And one of the reasons I believe that I struggle to pray and perhaps y'all struggle to pray Is because we really don't believe that God is that involved in the world. And when we face what seems like impossible circumstances, instead of praying, we just despair because we're not anticipating God to move. But He does. We should anticipate. We don't need to be lulled into the unbelief that God is not deeply involved in our world and can do miracles. Believe in them and believe that even when God doesn't do miracles, there's a reason. You know, one example of this is in Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Maybe you've heard the story. And they won't bow down to the idol because they serve the living God. And so they're going to be thrown into the fire. And this is what they say. They say, we believe God's going to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're still going to serve the Lord. Did you see the combo there? We believe in the miracle, but even if he doesn't do it, we still believe and will serve the Lord. Friends, there are red seas in front of us all the time in our lives. Just give it time. And what I'm imploring you and what I think God's imploring you to do is to realize his power and his love for you, that he is more than willing to fight for you, You want to know how I know that? Christmas. God is so willing to fight for you that he came personally to wage war against your sin and against himself. God, Jesus, took the wrath of God. He took his own wrath for you. God is willing to fight for you, friends. Take hope. Number six. Take hope. You will see God come through. Verse 29. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw The Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the great power of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in his servant Moses. Hope looks like Moses' words in verse 13. Do you remember them? Do not be afraid, stand firm. And then he says this Isn't this incredible? you will see the deliverance the Lord will display against the Egyptians. You'll see it. Just watch. That's hope. That's what hope is. It's not wishful thinking. It's that kind of confidence. So you'll be able to you'll say, you'll see it. Hope is an anticipation of what's going to happen. And it's a deep confidence that that is going to be good because of the reality of who God is, how powerful He is, and what He's done in the past, and what He's promised to do in the future. But it's really sweet to be able to see it come into reality. And that is God's promise to you. God's promise to you is that your hope is well-founded right now, and there will come a day when it won't be hope anymore. It'll be your reality. It'll be what you can see. What is the Christian hope? 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. When Jesus walked out of the tomb... He first had to go to the manger. When he walked out of the tomb, he gave us a hope that breathes. It's still alive to this day. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. (coughs) Excuse me. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his majesty, which is Christ in you. This is the title he gives Christ in you. You ready? The hope of glory. And then in Romans chapter 8, the great hope is the anticipation that one day God is going to come back and make everything around us brand new forever, including you, if you're in Christ. You'll be forever with him in perfection. And if you're not, you'll be made new but it'll be for eternal destruction. Christmas. Birth of Jesus. There are two characters in Luke chapter 2, Simeon and Anna. Both of them, God gave a promise that they would see the Messiah before they died. And Jesus is eight days old, and he's going to get circumcised as part of the covenant. And Simeon was able to hold his hope. He was able to see it. The prophet Tess, Anna, had been a widow for probably over 50 years and had spent most of her life in the temple, fasting and praying every day. And she got to see it. And so will you. One day, your hope will become a reality. And that truth informs your hope right now. Biblical hope is not optimism based on the odds. It's a choice to wait on God to bring about the future that He has promised. If you are not a Christian, and there's a question mark in your mind about that, what hope are you relying on? Think about that. Whatever it is, I guarantee you it is not sure And I would beg of you to contemplate that and to cry out to the God of hope and find a true anchor for your soul that will weather any storm, especially the wrath of God. And if you are a Christian, you're tempted just like me to look at the odds stacked against you in whatever form or fashion that currently takes in your life and to think there is no hope but there is. You can know that you know that you know because hope came and put on flesh. Hope is a person. He was born. He lived. He died. He rose again and he lives right now. Hope put on flesh and you can know that you know, that you know. Merry Christmas. Father in heaven, we praise you for our hope, our sure and steady hope that we have in Christ. And as we worship you and enjoy this Christmas season, help us to do so as a people of hope. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.